is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue podcast. Hello, and welcome back to London is Blue. I am joined today by Abdullah Abdullah and Rob Prattley for. A little bit of a special episode. We're going to be doing a bit of a deep dive today on some of the younger players within the Chelsea women's squad, looking at what we think will happen with their development this season and whether we're seeing a bit of a change in approach with how Chelsea kind of deal with their their academy. But uh, first of all, Abdullah, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Been a been a crazy day or so. Things moving around, but you know what? I think the most important thing is we made it to the recording. That is that's all I'm going to be very thankful for. <laughs> Although it's all good. And Rob, you've you've been out and about pestering Reese James about Lauren. We hear <laughs> so, so something along those lines. Although again, I'm sure that I'm sure again in due time the club will let me actually say what they can allow me to say and what can't be allowed to say. So be interesting to see how much it does make it out into the public domain. No, so that all sounds great fun. Um, but yeah, we're just going to start, I think, before we get into the youth stuff with a bit of a, a general update, because it feels like there's been, we literally did an episode on Sunday, but in the past three days, it feels like a, a lot of things have happened. Uh, starting, first of all, with a statement that came out yesterday from, from Anne Katrenberger, um, which unfortunately said that basically, I'll, I'll just read what she said. Uh, I wanted to update fans directly that unfortunately after four years of living cancer-free, there has been a recurrence de- detected in my thyroid. I said before that as a sports person, you have to fight every day to be the best you can be. And that's something I will continue to do. And I hope by sharing my journey, I can help others that find themselves in a similar situation. I'm working closely with my club doctor and specialist in London and my treatment will start this week. I remain positive that my treatment will be as effective as last time. And I'm looking forward to returning to the pitch and seeing you all at Kings Meadow and Stamford Bridge. Um, I think, you know, from everyone, obviously, at London is blue. We we kind of wish Anne Katrenberger all the best and hope she, she gets better soon. Uh, but this is this is going to be a big blow, isn't it, Rob, for us? Yeah, definitely. First and foremost, I think, you know, it's one of the situations where you'll put into perspective, you know, that as important as football is to all of us, there are so many more things that are more important. And again, you know, I echo all the sort of sentiments on there. And I also enter the segment to her family and also to, obviously, to Jess Carter as well. Um because of you know the well-documented relationship between them. But I'm sure the club will be giving the absolute best support and best possible care. I have absolutely no doubt, you know, that having seen the outpouring from the football world in the last 24 and sort of hours over uh, since the statement from, you know, all corners of it. I've seen Wolfsburg, I've seen Manchester United, I've seen teammates, I've seen former opponents, uh, managers, all of them coming out in support. And I'm sure that, you know, ultimately, that is the most important thing. I will say that I think it's hard for me to sort of say what a blow it is because ultimately you have to put certain things first. But definitely, I will say I'm more... I'm not going to say I'm obviously comfortable with it because it's such a, you know, a sad situation. But I think Chelsea are in a situation where they're lucky that they also have Zakira Musovic, who is such a very good goalkeeper in her own right. And, you know, she came out and said, first and foremost, the thing is that we show the unity together with Berger. There's also obviously Emily Orman, who I understand impressed well on her loan last year, and she's back with the seniors at the moment. Obviously, the window is still open, so maybe there's a chance to look in for a short-term goalkeeper loan, potentially if they sort of need something more experienced option to cover the cracks. But I think ultimately it's hard to sort of view it as a sort of, you know, from any sort of perspective other than that, you know, the focus should be on Anne Katrin Berger and on giving her the best support and the best you know, 
every, the best sort of wills and the best wishes rather than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, all of us just want to see her out back on a, a football pitch as, as soon as possible. And, and fingers crossed we get to, to do that. But Abdullah, some, some positive news as well uh, coming at the club. Guru Wrighton signing, signing a new deal to, to keep her. Uh, at the club until 2025. Uh, Wrighton said, I'm so happy to be extending my time at Chelsea for three further years. We've already achieved so much during my time here at the club and I really can't wait to see what we can do next. A big thank you to all the fans. They've been a huge support throughout and I look forward to seeing them all this weekend ahead of our new season. Uh, this is this is massive, right? This is this is great news. Oh, this is so good. I mean, I when I when I when I turned on Twitter this morning and I and I saw the the announcement, I was I was super excited because, you know, I think We've, I think we've all seen in the last few days, there's, there's been a graphic and a, and a chart coming out with all the players that are out of contract from Chelsea next summer. And, you know, you look at some of the names there, you're like, oh, this is, that's basically pretty much the starting 11, 90% of it, you know, uh, out of contract. And to see one of the bigger players of that list in Gura Wrighton, you know, extend for three more years, I think it's a, it's a massive, massive uh uh, plus for the club and and it it breeds that continu- continuity that 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 Emma Hayes is looking for and you know and I think you know Gur Wrighton's been probably one of the most improved players since she arrived at the club a couple of years ago and you know the last couple of seasons you know she's proven to be this vital uh, versatile player that wherever you play her whether it's left wing left wing back midfield you know, she ends up performing at almost like an eight out of ten, pretty much in most of her in most of her games. So, I think it's a huge, huge statement uh, renewal and uh, one that's that that thing the club and the, the t- and her teammates will be excited for. Yeah, Rob, how how important is it that that we're seeing all these contract extensions get done? Obviously, this follows Neve Charles and, and Millie Bright, and obviously, you know, the club was kind of hamstrung at the start of this year, maybe when we might have seen more of these things happen. Do you think this is that we're going to see more names kind of coming off that that terrifying graphic over over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, like I again, uh, I can't say exactly who, but I know at least one of the deal is done, um, and there are you know negotiations ongoing with at least three or four of the other names on there. Obviously, some of them on that list they have um, other aspects that they've got to consider at that point in the career, where it's sort of more of a crossroads aspect and maybe it's also Chelsea are at that point where they have to consider it from a more sort of crossroads aspect but certainly I think you would have seen more of these getting done last year um and again you know it's quite telling I think three-year deals which is something we don't necessarily always see in the women's game it tends to sort of usually be shorter deals maybe one year or one year of an option to extend um and I think the fact that Chelsea are tying players down to longer deals are showing that not only is it sort of focus on now it's a focus on having that cementing for the future. Um, I do, I, I do wonder to a point if it's also a little bit reactionary in a way. In the there are there's been a lot of sort of questions I think over players being at the club and sort of you know maybe looking elsewhere to go and get more game time or you know if you suddenly go into a window and it gets to the end of the window, suddenly a club gets a wad of cash they didn't necessarily expect and puts that on the table. Maybe the player decides they want to go. Um, and so I think, you know, it's partly protecting yourself against that. You look at the situation that Manchester City have now got themselves in, for example, where Kira Walsh does want to go um, and ideally wants to go to Barcelona before the end of the window. And as a result of that, teams are now going to know that whatever City do get for Kira Walsh, suddenly there's a premium attached on top that you know you've got to replace a world-class midfielder. And for my opinion, the best player of Euro 2022, 
Um, and suddenly, as a result of that, it's no longer, you know, let's say £150,000 that's the amount you're being asked, or suddenly it's bumped up to £200,000 just because you know there's that need in there. So I think by getting these players tied down, it's almost worked as a bit of a hands-off as well. And obviously for Wrighton, I think, because she was so integral, especially towards the end of last season and winning the title, I think it's a massive morale boost in that regard because she offers something unique in her skill set and in the squad. Plus, as a person, she's just obviously an amazing character to have in and around the dressing room of the club. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, a big fan favourite and for good reason. Um, and the good news the good news continued as well uh, with, the, with the announcement of the England squad. Or good news for some, maybe I should say. Um, I think the headline here is that uh, Lauren James uh, was included in the squad, which I think would have come as a bit of a surprise and benefiting from almost the absence of Frank Kirby, probably, who Serena Wiegmann, confirmed is out with a small foot injury i know on the last pod we were talking about whether it was the fatigue thing whether she just needed some more time off and that's why she wasn't with the the squad in america but um clearly she's she's got a small knock at the moment um this england squad's for games which bizarrely are on the third and sixth of september before the wsl season starts so it's quite a quick turnaround on them but uh rob this is this is a great opportunity for lauren james to impress Vigman, right and you know there's these quite a few spots opening up in this squad for the world cup with you know jill scott and and ellen white retiring i think you could say there are a couple of players in that front line maybe nikita paris who who might also potentially be on their way out if they don't have impressive uh, season, so this feels like a reward for a good preseason and a and a big opportunity. Yeah, I think firstly, again, I want to say in regards to Jill Scott and Ellen White retiring, what icons of the game, you know, they are for not just, again. Obviously, Ellen White started their career at Chelsea. Jill Scott spent most of her time hating Chelsea, but um, I think you know you've got to pay tribute to what incredible players they are. The fact that they have moved the game forward so many sort of levels. I'm sure lines people across the country will be very sad to see Ellen White retiring as that takes about 50% of their job out of the equation. The other 50% is golfers taking the ball out of the net. But I think it's really interesting to look at the uh, lineup to see, you know, almost this younger guard you've got coming through. I'm also really excited to see Ebony Salmon um, back in it as I think, you know, people have forgotten a little bit about Ebony Salmon, but I have no doubt that her next move will be to one of the top WSL sides. But certainly from Lauren James's perspective, she looked very, very sharp in preseason. And I think last season, everyone knew there was something there, but it just felt there was that little bit, you know, that little bit of sharpness, that little bit of mental strength that was sort of lacking. Obviously, did come in towards the end of the season and started to look a bit more sort of closer to what we all expected. But I think now this is the year she really has to kick on. Um, she's been at the club for a year. She's had that time to acclimatise. She knows the system. And... Yeah, I, I think, you know, she could be a really exciting and interesting asset. She's got everything in her locker. She's strong. She's good in the air. She's got a very good turn of pace. She can finish well on both feet. So now is that time really to show us, you know, that she is that player that everyone thinks she should be. The flip side of this, Abdullah, is uh, there's no spot for Neve Charles, who was obviously in that extended squad for the Euros. Can can she feel a little hard done by here? Maybe a little bit. I think considering the fact that... Um... You know, she had a good start to to preseason, couple of couple of decent gains coming in from left back. You know, we we discussed Neve Charles in, in a bit of detail in the last episode, but um, and last couple of episodes. But I think um, you know, I, I think I think I think a little bit. But at the same time, you look at the way that this defense performed at the Euros, and 
at the same time, you can really look at it and go, why, you know, she, you know, Drew Weigman doesn't really have to change anything. I mean, that was a, that was a world-class defense defended for their lives. You know, everyone performed really, really well. And, you know, if you, if you, you, you can't really take out someone like a Jess Carter or a Demi Stokes or a Woman Moy, because while they didn't play, they would feel hard done by equally, like, but not having had the chance to prove themselves or perform. Like if somebody hadn't performed well, I could, I had, there's more of a case, but I think in this case, it's just a matter of, okay, keep at it, play well, uh, get the season up and running and, um, you know, put, put yourself in contention for, for one of the spots in there, because, you know, I think with this squad, it's fine because it's the one, just the quick turnaround we've talked about, but in the next, into next couple of international windows, if Carter, Stokes, or Moy, or even if the any other other four or five that 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 have been playing, if you have one of them drops in 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 quality and Neve Charles maintains it and improves, then there's all the chance that she can she can come in and you know replace a Demi Stokes or or someone like that. Yeah, I think I agree that maybe the beef is to be taken up with with Jess Carter here, who I think's kind of become the de facto right back sitting behind Lucy Bronze. But it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out and when the season when the season goes. I think there is going to be, um, for a number of players in this team, uh, in this squad, a bit of a shake-up with, with their minutes at club level as well. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the international stage. But we're going to take a quick ad break. And when we come back, we're going to dive in into um, all of our kiddies in the squad. Just a couple of housekeeping things. Obviously, the guys are covering the Premier League every week. I'm trying to pretend that's not happening at the moment. But if you want to put yourself through the sadomasochism of listening to analysis of the Chelsea men's team, you know where to find it. Um, we're also covering the academy a lot as well. Um, and if you've missed anything from from Chelsea women's preseason, uh, we've covered those those US tour games against Lyon and the Portland Thorns in detail. So you can catch up there, and we'll have some proper preseason uh, episodes coming for you hopefully next week i think with with some fun guests i i think so um keep an eye out for those but there are six players kind of in and around the squad right now who i think we're gonna we're gonna touch on today we're not really going to be looking at anyone who's still more in the that academy academy zone so three are currently sort of still with the senior squad uh, in Emily Orman, Charlotte Warder and Aggie Beaver Jones, but only Emily Orman actually went to America with the main team. Uh, and then there are three who've already gone out on loan in, in Lucy Watson, Emma Thompson and, and Georgia Fox. So I think we can start by talking about our two championship loanies and then we'll maybe come on to the, the players who, who've seen a bit more of an, and might be looking for or already are taking WSL loans. So Lucy Watson and Emma Thompson. Um Lucy Watson, we obviously signed her uh, from Sheffield United and then kind of said we were going to immediately send her out on loan. She's gone to Charlton to work under Karen Hills, where, you know, George Fox had a, had a pretty successful six months there last season. Um, eight goals in 22 appearances for Watson in the Championship last year. Rob, talk to us a bit about the kind of player Lucy Watson is. Yeah, so Lucy Watson's a really, really interesting um, sort of player. She's sort of forward who... In many ways, the world is sort of at her is her oyster at this moment in time, in that she has so many assets and abilities in her locker. She's very, very good at shooting from long range. She's a good dribbler. She's got a great um sort of you know, great speed. She is incredibly agile. Um, she moves with the ball very, very well for a young player, which is sometimes one of the big things that separate young players. Sometimes they look a bit gangly and awkward at times. They don't really sort of almost want to lose the ball. Whereas in terms of when Whenever Watson's on it, she always sort of seems to pick the right decision, or sort of most of the time does. I mean, for a young player, you have to 
give a little bit of leeway, but a lot of the time she picks sort of the ideal choice. I think that it was a real coup for Chelsea to obviously get her in, but I think it's also a situation where it's always a challenge to Watson in that there are so many good young forwards at the club at this moment in time. It's almost a case of Watson saying, we know you've got potential, we now want to see you kick on and show that ability. I also think with her, due to the nature of how she is as a player, you could maybe mould her into that sort of wide forward, maybe in that sort of de facto sort of Frank Kirby light sort of player. But at the same time, you could also play her up front. And that, I think, is what makes her so useful, is she's so versatile. I think she's nowhere near the finished product at this moment in time, which is why she's going out on loan. But a good loan this year and maybe another good loan next year in the WSL. And she can be a real asset, I think, in a few years' time for a side like Chelsea. Yeah, this is obviously a player who's been very hyped. I think she made her first team debut for for Sheffield United when she was like... 15 or something ridiculous um but she's obviously played then in the championship quite a lot do you think it's strange Abdullah to see her kind of going back there when you know she's been in that that division already for for quite a few seasons we kind of know she can do it at that level right yeah no I agree I, I think I think we know that she can do it at that level it's 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 I think but I think it's just a matter of we know that the step up from the championship to the WSL is a big one and we've seen other players from other teams and, and Chelsea as well, where when you step up from the from the championship up to the, the WSL, there is this big gulf, and then you you need to be in a different mindset, different place. And let's not forget, she's still eight, she's still eighteen years old. She's still while she has had that experience from fifteen in onwards. Um, you still want to develop and 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 be consistent. Like you know, you we mentioned here eight goals and twenty two appearances in the championship last year. Now it's I think it's it's a matter of can you go on and maybe better that goal tally. And if she can say, for example, get ten plus goals, then you can kind of see the progression of the last couple of years. And that maybe at the age of nineteen, um, going into a WSL side on a loan for one or two seasons might then be the next step up. And maybe by the time she's twenty twenty one. You can really then see uh, a fully fledged, experienced uh, forward that has played through the through the divisions and has had experience in both divisions. So that, and it also helps with the fact that right now Chelsea are so stacked in the forward areas that even if even if she were to be fast tracked into the WSL and play then and move into the Chelsea first team in a couple of years, there's still that you know there's still no real obvious space in the next couple of years so i think just to be just to get chelsea to be sure about okay we have a player that's that's proven herself in a championship not just one or two seasons but like two three seasons get that experience and maybe show a bit of that leadership quality now after three four seasons in there do it in the wsl for a couple of seasons and then get into the chelsea side so i can see where they're coming from and i think you know just that step up i think needs to be managed uh carefully yeah, and I mean, th- there was a quote when she joined Charlton, which I guess I thought was interesting, where she said, you know, being a Charlton player now is a step up. It's my first full-time club that I'm coming into. So it's definitely going to be different. I'm really excited to see how I can develop here. And I think that's obviously something that's a factor too, is, is you know, like, what does it look like for her to have that, that extra training time and things expanded? Because she's not come through the academy system in the way like the player we're going to talk about next, Emma Thompson, has... Thompson's gone to to Lewis. Uh, she signed her first pro contract at the club. This is, you know, it seems like the only player that's kind of come out of the next crop, as it were, the next like mm-hmm. almost year to to go out this year. Um, she describes herself as an old school number nine, and I think it's fair to say she had definitely outgrown the academy system. Uh, made her first team debut for us as well in the FA Cup. Uh, Rob, what can you tell us about Emma? Yeah, I mean, to me, Emma Thompson is sort of the 
if you're thinking ahead for the future, she's the de facto player you look at and you say, yeah, actually, if Beth England leaves, that's the person that comes in. She reminds me a lot of Beth England and, you know, the limited academy clips I've sort of seen. She's a big centre forward and she uses the ball very, very well. She's the sort of player I could see playing really well with someone like Watson, actually, in that you've got Watson who's a bit more nippier and Thompson that can really use her body well and sort of back into defender, then cope with the muscular side of things and being able to actually get back in. Her goal tallies, again, I, I can't remember the exact figures off my head, but there have been some absolutely nuts numbers at sort of youth level. And again, at this age of point, it's the time you need to really be moving up into the senior game. One of my big gripes, I think, about the academy system in the women's game, I think, is slowly changing. But one of the big gripes is that there hasn't been enough players going out on loan there have been too many players sitting in the academy system and by the time they reach 18, 19, 20, they haven't got a minute of senior football in there, sort of under their belt. And then when they come straight in, they look lightweight. They look, you know, that they're not necessarily up for sort of, you know, the argy-bargy and the rough side of things. And I think getting a player out at this age in that division, in a side that you know, Lewis have got an interesting, I think, side for this year, she's going to get a lot of minutes. And I think, you know, she's probably looking at the target if she can get somewhere between seven to sort of ten goals, it's a successful loan and maybe sets her up for, again, a WSL loan next year or maybe another championship loan in a more, a side that you'd associate more being at the top end of the table. Yeah, and so Thompson started in in the the first game of the championship, nil-nil draw Lewis had um, against Birmingham. Scott Booth in charge there, which I think is a really exciting managerial appointment for them and I think a very talented kind of manager to be to be working with. Abdullah, what do you think she should be looking to to kind of achieve from this season? Yeah, I, th- I think I think Rob touched on it. I think I think if she has a realistic um, goal target, I think that would be one just to be consistent in the sense of being able to score goals as a forward. And I think one of the other things I think for for her would be just to really adapt to a system, show that she can she can play well in a system, build that chemistry around her, and just understand and build that game, big game experience and 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 play in a team consistently week in week out. You know. Um, challenging for places and i think all those all those almost to an extent basic things that maybe sometimes we 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 don't look at for younger players but like get like you know get into the team on a regular basis score maybe like like rob said seven to ten goals you know be be in play in the big games have an impact whether it's off the bench or from from the start you know and and maybe show the understanding of how much you can understand the system and adapt to it and play into it I think these tangible and maybe some intangible uh, goals, I think if she can kind of take off most of them, it's a successful successful load. And then like, like Rob said, maybe if she over excels in some of those places or in most of them, you know, a WSL loan can be in the offing and then that's where you then build off it, you know. And from there, I think she and, and Emma Hayes and the club can gauge whether, okay, do you need to go back into the championship again? And, you know, you showed some promising signs, but there are things you need to work on or you overexcelled on these goals that we've talked about and then you can move on to the next one. And I think just being able to do those small things, those details correctly and consistently, I think would be a, a, a big step for Emma Thompson, considering the talent that she is and the potential that she has. Yeah, and I think for Thompson and Watson, what will be, I guess, exciting for them is is they've kind of got this pathway highlighted for them in, in the next set of players we're going to talk about, the four players who were on a loan in the championship last season and now are... All doing slightly different things, but uh, but have kind of make that move to they will be around in and around the WSL. Where that might be is still you know up in the air for some of them, but I think it's quite clear what that pathway looks like. And I think you know this is 
generally, and part of the reason we wanted to do this episode, I guess, quite interesting because I don't think there's really any other WSL club who are doing anything like this in terms of, you know, that feasibly we could have three, potentially four, I guess, players out on loan in in competitive WSL teams. Um, so let's start with with Emily Orman uh, talking about talking about these players because she's the one who I guess might be doing something slightly different this season. Uh, 20 appearances for Crystal Palace. AKB obviously taking some time out for treatment. Do we see Orman staying to be Zatira Musevic's backup now, Rob? I don't think it's out of the question. I mean, again, Musevic, I think, is going to clearly be the first choice goalkeeper at this moment in time. Um, I was told something interesting about the club potentially looking at a more experienced option and maybe looking if there was someone who was an experienced player they could bring in maybe on a sort of loan deal effectively to mean that they'd have to throw Orman in at the deep end, but also on the basis the player understood that it would be between them and Ormond to get the backup spot. I mean, obviously, in the first half of the year, there's really only WSL and sort of um, Women's Champions League matches. Uh, again, the, the Conti Cup won't really come into play until January, I think, and then the FA Cup around sort of a similar time. So I think maybe you can possibly, yeah, just sort of say to Ormond about being the backup. That said, as a young goalkeeper, how beneficial is it really to sit on the bench for half a season, maybe play, you know, one WSL game when you could maybe get her a WSL loan elsewhere. It was very interesting. I was told by someone that Allman was the backup choice for Everton if they didn't get Emily Ramsey in on loan. Um, but obviously they went and got Emily Ramsey as well. The other name they had on the list was Kiara Keating at um, Manchester City. And I think it. I think it's at a point now where if the club brought someone experienced, I'd say to Allman, definitely go out on loan, go get a year of, you know, experience but at the moment I would say you almost kind of are veering towards keeping her as backup because she had a good loan last year and our goalkeeper I'm not trying to sound biased but from a goalkeeping perspective for Chelsea you don't have to do too many things in a game but it's the things you have to do you have to do very very well and you have to be that sharp and that focused and that's what I think separates a good goalkeeper from a true top goalkeeper um and, you know, it's whether Chelsea could go and get someone in a loan that maybe is a bit more experienced, a bit more used to it. Or you say to Orman, you know, can we rely on you in the big moments? So obviously, all of this would go out the window if, say, on the first week of the season, and Touchwood doesn't have Zakira Musovic suddenly gets injured, and then you're throwing a, you know, 21-year-old into the fire. Although that said, at the same time, she's had a loan last year. And, you know, sometimes players do sink or sw- it's a sink or swim sort of situation. And some players do thrive and fly in that situation. I mean, I remember again in the men's game, obviously, but Harry Kane came into Tottenham at a point when they were pretty desperate. They didn't have a centre forward and, you know, didn't do too badly and hasn't done too badly. At the same time, you've got players that you've seen sort of come in. Again, I use Ruby Mace as the example at Arsenal. Obviously she moved to City afterwards, but you have Mace sort of come in at Arsenal, do quite well and then sort of disappear, you know, effectively off the face of the earth until she moved to City. And you don't really want young players to have that situation. I'd sort of think, I'm not against it, but I think very, very carefully about it is the way. She has to be in the right mental mindset to come in because that's not an easy dressing room to come into, I don't think, in terms of the standard and the application you have to play. Yeah, Abdullah, do you, how, how do you feel about Orman, like if she was to take up that, that second choice thing? Is that something you'd feel comfortable with? I think I'd feel comfortable with it if the club couldn't go and find somebody else. Like, I, I'll put it this way. Like, if the club doesn't go and find this experienced option that we're talking about here, 
I'm not overly, I'm like, I'm not sitting here going, I'm completely concerned about the second goalkeeper swap because at least Ormond's had that year on loan last year. And it's not like she performed badly. She played well. So there is a little bit of comfort in that she's got some experience. She played well last year. So even if she, if she does have to come up in, in this, in the scenario of the club can't go find anybody else, then fine. Fair enough. But the only, then the only other problem, then the downside of that is how much does that stunt her development, which is what, what we talk, what we're worried about. Because if you, if, if the club and we do see her as this, maybe a long-term you know, not even a successor, but like maybe she's the one that takes AKB spot a spot in the long term, and it's between Mustovic and and Orman who are fighting for the number one spot at, at Chelsea in the long run. Then do you then you know does this put Orman in the backseat already for two three seasons on the line because Mustovic will have a full season or maybe even at least three quarters of a season as first choice, get that experience at a Chelsea, whereas Orman's not playing as much. So I, I think it's it's weighing those pros and cons. Um, you know, equally, and at the same time, I mean, it's, it you know, it wouldn't be, um, you know, it, it, and at the same time, if the, but if the club can go and get someone, and again, I'm not saying this from any sort, I'm just literally putting names out there as a hypothetical, but like for example, like, like Sarah Bahadi at Leon, not really doing much, 36 years old, could come in for six months, a year, just kind of, I, right, I'm gonna come play in the WSL first season and go back. She did it at OL Reign could come in if you if you if you have that conversation with her because she's not really going to be playing at Leon. But then how many of those types of goalkeepers are out there that are, that are going to want to come at maybe at that at that age saying, okay, let's come in for a season to be a backup to to Musovic. So you have to have those pros and cons. But uh I think if we're going back to the original question, um I'm I would prefer an experienced option because of the Champions League, but at the same time if we have to, then I guess Orman could could step up. And uh, let's just take Daphne van Domlesar from from the Netherlands and the Euros, right? I mean, thrown in in the deep end when when Sari van Wienerval got got injured and turned out to be one of the better keepers in in the Euros and and thrived in that situation. To, to go back to to you know Rob's and uh, examples and analogies there, so we could have another Daphne van Domlesar on our hands if the need comes up. I thought you were saying we should just go get Daphne fan. And I was like, oh I'm, yeah, sure. I could, I could back that. I mean, apparently she's a City fan, but whatever. I know, um, maybe um, we could, but then, you know. Unfortunately, Carly Telford looks like she's having a very nice time in San Diego, which is an yeah, unfortunate one. Um, I personally don't think Emily Orman's quite ready yet. I think if you, if you watch some of her video in the championship, it's quite clear that there are a number of weaknesses to her game, which is to be expected from a very, very young goalkeeper. You know, I think basically unless you're like Ellie Roebuck or Hannah Hampton, like there's normally a lot of things for you to work on for quite a few years. Um, And I worry that it would be a loss of pressure. I mean, like I was talking to a City fan about this and like they were talking about Karim Tayeb as an example of just like how quickly a goalkeeper can totally crumble. Now, I'm not looking to compare Orman and, and Tayeb. I think Orman's probably got a brighter future than Tayeb does but I think it just shows that these things can go one of two ways and you don't necessarily want to put your 19 year old goalkeeper under that level of pressure um but one player we do know will be in the WSL next season and we know where she'll be is Georgia Fox who is heading to Brighton for the season um Rob for anyone who doesn't know tell us a bit about what kind of player Georgia Fox is firstly I want to say what a shock this loan was I never really saw it coming at all um the uh, Georgia Fox is a, a a very interesting young fullback in that she's very much the archetype 
modern fullback, and I detest that phrase because it's meaningless in isolation. But she's very, very attacking. She almost plays more of a sort of de facto winger at times. She's a very good cross of the ball. She's technically very proficient. Defensively, maybe her one-on-one duels need a little bit of work, and that's why I think going to Brighton under Hope Powell will be a really, really good move. She's an excellent sort of developer of players. We've seen it with Marla Tissier and other young players at Brighton. Um, but I think, you know, she's a very proficient player. She's the sort of player I think is ready to step in to the WSL. Obviously, with Coivisto and Letitia leaving, it presents a real obvious opportunity for her to sort of step in and step up. And I think, you know, it could turn, this is the one, I think, you know, Chelsea are looking at this and saying, go have a good year. And then immediately you come in next year because obviously one of the rotation fullbacks options, so we say, is Mara Mielda. And obviously, Mielder is not getting any younger. So I think there's that most obvious, clear pathway in that case. Yeah, I love, I mean, I think anyone who ever talks to me knows how much I love Georgia Fox. I think she's supremely, supremely talented. And I, I think this is a really good fit, Abdullah, isn't it? Like like Rob was saying, that there's some really obvious spots for her to go into there with uh, kind of Coivisto and, and Letitia leaving. There's a manager who we know is very good at developing younger players this just feels like all of it makes sense, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, I think, you know, the, the couple of games that we saw Georgia play in 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 preseason last year, and and what we've seen of her so far, it's just that there is a bright future ahead of her. She's this, um, like we said, the modern fullback. But I think that the, the, one of the good things about the, you know this modern fullback in particular is she, you know, she she likes to go forward and she's decent going forward, but then there is this emphasis on defending at the back and 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 you know playing that almost traditional fullback role uh, equally equally as well. And I think going to Brighton in a team that will that that is a focus on defense first more more than anything else will improve because it's almost it's I'm not saying it's easy to attack as a fullback, but in a sense where your natural tendencies as a fullback mainly is to go forward and do well there on the overlap crosses, whatever. And you work on that side, but then when you, when you, but defending is, is this is art. And when you go into teams that are mid to lower table, you get to learn more about defending there almost sometimes than you do it at a top side, because at least in the WSL, you're going to be attacking more than you are defending. But as, as a team, you know, lower down the division, you are going to be defending a little bit more. And I think for Georgia, that's just going to be a great skill set and experience to learn and then take it back to Chelsea because, um, you know, if anything, we've seen that, you know, there is this there is this dearth, probably not even just in anywhere, but in like world football for fullbacks and wingbacks that can that can that can both attack and defend equally as well. And if Georgia can become that sort of player that, that we think that she can, she can become, it, it's she just becomes this 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 priceless you know uh, asset to, to Chelsea and and like we said there's this clear pathway at Brighton and at Chelsea which is weird where you have two clubs that have clear pathways for her in the next couple of years and the rest of it is just up to up to Georgia to to get done yeah there's um there's a lot of um excitement I think within the England setup as well about Georgia Fox in terms of because I think that's also a position where if you're English you're thinking Oof, I'm not sure what happens when Lucy Bronze and Debbie Stokes and Rachel Daly, who isn't even a fullback, all disappear. Um so yeah, uh I think uh Fox has looked very good in, in kind of every age group she's played at and and Aggie Beaver Jones, who we're gonna talk about next, she's She's, I think, maybe the most 
intriguing to me of this set of Academy graduates. Um, she's very versatile, and maybe that's why it can feel quite hard to, to pin her down. Um, but I was particularly impressed by her. And uh, I mean, they didn't play many games in the under-19 Euros, but uh, I think Aggie Beaver-Jones was one of the, the players who came out best for it for England. Um, but then she's probably got a very hard job when it comes to to breaking into any of those front three positions, even if she can play across that line, Rob. Um, linked to a WSL side as well, but nothing confirmed yet. Nothing confirmed yet, although Everton are very, very keen. Um, Leicester are the other side, I've been told, that are very keen. And again, they're also keen on another Chelsea player that we'll come on to in a minute. But the the big thing from Chelsea's perspective is they want her to go somewhere and not just be seen as sort of fifth or sixth choice as the striker. And as you know, the option of, you know, they can play some Conti Cup games. Chelsea want them to be getting a lot of minutes. Um, you know, I've been told, and again, I don't know if they've managed to do this, but I've been told in some debates they've tried to put penalty clauses in if players aren't playing while on loan because they've sort of said, okay, you've got our players, they're highly regarded, a lot of clubs wanted them, you're going to use them. Um, and that wouldn't be uncommon from Chelsea's perspective. The men have done it a lot in the past to varying degrees of success. Um I will say that from Beaver Jones's perspective, I think that it's almost better if she goes somewhere where the expectations are lower. And that's why I may be a little bit reticent on a move to Everton, because I think this year, Everton people are expecting so much more from after last year being so disappointing. But now they've made a bunch of new signings. Again, they've let a lot of players go. For some reason, I talk to people and there's a lot of high expectation to get around Everton this year, and that sort of worries me. I'd almost rather, Fox, uh, not Fox even, Beaver Jones goes on loan to Leicester maybe, where, you know, in realistic terms, they're once again going to be looking to avoid that relegation zone and gets more minutes and, you know, maybe has a chance to be that key centre forward, especially seeing as they don't have a huge amount of options in that position. Then again, if she goes to Everton, again, they've got a lot of games this year with the, you know, long... Conti Cup group stages and the FA Cup and the league. So, and they also don't have huge depth necessarily in the forward positions. So maybe it'll turn out to be a good move. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a tricky one when you're weighing up those two things because I think you worry that a team like Leicester, where there would really be a big burden, I think it would feel, on Beaver Jones to produce but you mm. maybe get the minutes that that you can kind of just sink there and not get much service. Whereas a team like Everton, you kind of feel like, well, maybe you sacrifice playing as regularly, but you know when you are in that team, you can kind of be guaranteed that you you are going to get on the ball and you are going to get those opportunities. And so I think it's a hard one to to figure out. I do think it's weird when you know Everton have say a player like. Jess Park, who isn't like a, a perfect match to, to what Ag Aggie Beaver-Jones can look to do, but again is, is another player who's obviously come in from a big club and wants to get minutes and is and is already very proven in the WSL. So that's like a bit of an odd odd competition there. Um, Abdullah, you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, we know the step up from the championship to the WSL is not an easy one. Five goals in 22 appearances for Bristol City last season. How much of an impact do you, like, do you think Beaver-Jones can, can make on the WSL wherever she ends up? Yeah, I think I think there is I think there's there's potential there to to make uh to make some impact. I mean, like we said, five goals and twenty two appearances. I mean, it's 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 good for it's good for the championship. I mean, obviously obviously not the best, but like at her age to be able to still score five goals, be a little bit consistent there, I think is good. 
I think, I think, yeah, I think, like you guys said, I think the impact that she's going to have on the WSL side, I think, might just come down to the level of club that she goes to. You know, we talked about Everton, we talked about the Leicester example. Um, you know, whereas you know, like at Everton, while she may have more of the ball and she might have better service, so then it then it comes down to the fact of okay, can you now? It's almost like you might play like you'll play less minutes, but then with the service you have, like a Hannah Benison or Jess Park, whoever's playing in and around her. Can you then use that service or, or, or and you know those players around you that will feed you the ball or you feed you feed the other players the ball? Can you deliver in that moment? Now, whether she's going to get more chances to do that and be that sort of player, it's it's 50-50 considering you know the competition that there will be at Everton and considering the number of new players that they've brought in, um, you could also make the argument that you know she has the chance to be one of the players that gets into the starting 11 from the very beginning rather than just having to work her way in because everybody's trying to get into that starting 11 with the players that are there. On the other hand, if you go to a Leicester, you're getting more game time. and But it could also be basically maybe down to personality-wise where if you're playing at a Leicester, you maybe have a better chance of getting into the starting 11 and then there it's like, okay, can I keep this? Can I keep my place in there? And then she might have more to prove because it's almost, it's harder to maintain something when you have it than it is to earn it in the first place. So maybe using that mentality of being in that Leicester team week in, week out, having to maintain standards and levels uh, might push her on to to have a better impact. So I think for me, it, it's, it's those pros and cons of you play at a, a slightly higher club, a slightly club at a lower end of the table, and 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 kind of what kind of um what are your goals looking forward to to going forward? Because maybe maybe for Emma Hayes, it's all right, listen, I just need you to play minutes. I want you to get in, I want you to feel the WSL. Maybe a lesser loan is better. But if they feel like she's at a point of a development where she needs to be playing with better players uh at a slightly higher level, then maybe, maybe, maybe Everton's maybe Everton's that choice. But I think in in both scenarios, I can see. I can see her making some sort of impact. It's just those factors might determine how much of an impact it will be. All right. And one more player we've got to, to talk about today. Um, and I think it's fair to say this is probably the player who impressed the most out of the championships loans last season. Uh, it's Charlotte Wardlaw. She was an integral part of the Liverpool side that, that won the division. Given where she plays, there's part of me that wonders whether this is the player who would actually end up in the squad this year. But... There are, you know, obviously the benefits of still still going out on loan. And it sounds like this is all a bit up in the air still, Rob, right? Yeah, I mean, like, there are certainly offers on the table. Like, I mean, there's a there's one offer from abroad that feels like a step back in quality. And if it did happen, I'd be very surprised. Um, but, you know, maybe it's personal choice that she wants to go abroad and try out a Scandinavian league. Then... Liverpool remain interested in the player, although they ideally would like to buy the player on a permanent deal. Chelsea, I don't think, want to let the player go on a permanent deal. Uh, I believe she's got 12 months left on her contract, possibly 18, um, because she may have been a January contract. So it may be kind of a little bit dependent on that um, side of things as well as to what happens with her future. And then the other side that do want her again is Leicester, who are looking for bringing in more reinforcements. But again, it's a case, would they be bringing players into? bolster the squad or start on a regular basis. Now, at this moment in time, Chelsea are, you know, we're waiting for them to announce Yelena Kankovic. Um, I'm still, you know, waiting on that announcement at this moment in time. But it's clear the club also do want one other midfielder. Um, and ideally, they want a high-profile name. Again, we spoke briefly about Kira Walsh. She's on the list. 
the main one at the moment is Grace Gioro, who the club have made at least one offer for. It's been turned down. And, you know, PSG, interestingly, have not told the club completely to go away um, in that regard. So there may be something that can be sort of, you know, sourced out later in the window of that. And then the final one and the sort of one that I think, again, if Walsh did go to Barcelona, Ingrid Engen will be allowed to leave. Um, again, she's barely played at Barcelona in the last year and she's maybe not quite on the same calibre of a Giorgio or a Walsh, but maybe she's got more of a point, I think, to prove if she sort of comes into the system. Now, if none of that happens, maybe Wardlaw does stick around, but then you maybe look at January, let's say sort of January comes around, Menli Leupold may suddenly be back and then Wardlaw really needs to go out alone but it's going to be very hard to find WSL sides taking players on a six-month loan. It very rarely happens in the WSL because by that point, squads are settled. There's very little January business done anyway. So I think we'll probably get a resolution to this in the next couple of days. Um, I think it'll be you know sooner rather than later because Chelsea's plans will sort of get fleshed out. But certainly at this moment in time, I'd veer more towards her leaving on loan than staying. It's a fascinating set of dominoes, isn't it? Manchester City don't offer Lucy Bronze a contract and now we're basically, you can follow that all the way down to whether Charlotte Wardlaw goes out on loan. I mean, um, Manchester City offer Lucy Bronze a contract but she refuses to sign the contract is, a, is right. more like what actually happened but what regardless of what City say. Um, Abdullah, are you surprised that none of these players have had, had kind of this chance to make the first team squad this year? Um, Georgia Fox obviously stuck around for the first six months of last season uh, while we were waiting to get Alsu Abdelina in uh, as as backup on on in the fullback positions, um, yeah, do you, do you think you'd have you'd have liked to see them maybe get a shot? Possibly, maybe like Georgia Fox, maybe um, you know, considering if if Chelsea going to be playing straight at the back, Mielda could be a backup centre back. You know, you could jig things around and, and go from there, but. Other than that, I'm not too too surprised. I think I think that the squad has been pretty it's pretty stacked in some areas and, and it wasn't in others. And I think considering the way the Champions League went last year, I think Emma Hayes has just kind of been in this thing of all right, we need to plan for the future. There are players out of contract next year. We need to know who's staying, who's going. We need to, you know, beef up the squad with some with some more experienced players of a higher quality. And I think with all of these things put together, I'm not entirely surprised that some none of these players have had the chance. I think the scope of, I mean, unless like you're a Lauren James, a Lauren Hemp, or or you know even at a Jess Park level, you you need to be that good to be able to say, all right, you have to start playing me, or at least keeping me around to 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 be an option. Um, but I think that's that's why I think I think for Georgia Fox, Charlotte Wardlaw, all of these players, I think. At the very moment, at least in Chelsea's unique situation of the of the of the, of the makeup of the squad that they have now, I think it's just better to go out and get that get those minutes so that when things get clearer contract wise and space wise of who's coming in, who's not, um, it just then it's a clearer path for them to be able to come in after gaining more experience rather than just kind of hanging around the the training sessions and and the odd bench appearance and sub appearance for uh, for Chelsea. And Rob, Chelsea haven't historically been a team full of academy graduates i think i'm correct in thinking that lauren james is the only player in our, our current squad who was in the academy and obviously she went elsewhere at first um but do you think this is something we are we are going to see change uh i think it's an interesting point i think it's a more general point you're going to see across the wsl i think increasingly the amount of money that's been put into academy structures by um sides looking to try and bring 
the women's academy towards the level of the men's academy. And I want to also stress at the moment, they are nowhere near each other at the moment. There's still a lot more investment is needed. Clubs can't just now, you know, start saying, well, the job is done. The winning the Euros and the fact that we've had a, you know, a home success in the Euros means that more and more clubs now need to be investing on that grassroots level. So it isn't a one-off thing. It's the start of a new footballing dynasty in England. Um, and that starts at the grassroots level with the academy development level. It was quite interesting that uh, I spoke to one of the parents of one of the current academy players the other day who said there's been an awful lot of turnover this summer in the academy. There have been a lot of players that have decided to, and the same as at Arsenal and at Manchester City, a lot of players have decided to go elsewhere and drop into the championship and drop else, and go elsewhere in order to get first-team football uh, because they see a clearer first-team pathway. And I think more and more clubs have to try and open that up. Now, that still doesn't mean Chelsea aren't going to try and hoover up you know, the top talents in England. I mean, they've got Alice Higginbotham uh, signed. They're looking at um, Little John at Villa as well. And I think it's worth sort of noting that you know they're going to continue that strategy. But I think certainly they want to see more of an ROI on the academy. And even if it's a case that the players aren't necessarily all playing at Chelsea, more of them playing in the WSL can only be a good thing for the league as it's meaning that more and more players are finding a pathway into pro football. Yeah, and Rob just kind of touched on there, Abdullah, but obviously we're not only looking at our own academy players right now. We've we've been active in the transfer market, and, and I think this is maybe just a, a result of the increased coverage of the women's game, that you maybe just notice these things more, that we wouldn't necessarily be talking about kind of swaps between, like, you know, 18, 19-year-olds a couple of years ago, but... Do you think this is a, a shift kind of in, in recruitment strategy? I par- partially wonder if the club's kind of also seeing the way the market's going in terms of transfer fees and starting to think, again, kind of like what Rob just touched on. Well, even if these players don't all end up playing for Chelsea, it's not going to necessarily be the case that we're losing them all for nothing. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that sentiment completely. I think it's all uh, the fact that, you know, transfer fees is becoming a more relevant topic in, in in women's football now whereas maybe a couple of years ago it was just about right we pick up players on freeze contracts are so short that basically every year you'd be able to pick up one you know top player and and bring her into into a club and you just have to maybe wait six months to figure out whether or not you could bring that person in or not um and i think now you're looking at just for example look at the grace euro thing i mean just last year sorry, a couple of years ago we looked at Penny Lahada being the record signing, world signing, you know, I think what it was three, four hundred thousand pounds. Uh, and now you're looking at Grace Euro, five hundred thousand. What's, you know, we, we could easily be start looking at the first million pound player, million euro women's player to be to be transferred in the next couple of years. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um if that starts happening and we start seeing fees for top players in the range of 300,000 to 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 a million I mean I remember last year I think it was it was Leon who were almost ready to pay the 2 million euro buyout clause Vitana from her contract last summer you know there was the I mean if you're talking about fees at that level and for women's football it's it's a lot of money you know that the market is heading that place even if the discussions are coming out about that right so getting these players and then it's almost become it's almost part of the Chelsea DNA right and historically we've seen Chelsea men's team have bought up some of the best talent academy wise They've sent them out on multiple loans. They've impressed there, and then they've sold them for big money for profits. And I think maybe now that the women's game is catching up to that, uh, Chelsea are like, all right, maybe we can apply that model now. And obviously, we've looked at again the men's side and the academy, where 
you're picking up a Chocomena and, and all these players who for like a Cassidy and all these guys coming in for this big, big money, but they know it's a long-term investment. And I think maybe now Chelsea are recognizing that there's enough talent in the women's game at an academy level, at a teenage level where you can start making those long-term investments and maybe start seeing a return. And maybe they're almost timing it so that maybe in two years when 100,000 plus transfer fees are a very regular thing, that these players can start attracting those sort of bids and, you know, you go from there. Obviously, in the past, we've, we've seen youngsters come into this team who have maybe sunk rather than swum. Jamie Lee Napier is a, a name that comes to mind here. Um, but, Rob, do you think the you know these loan moves are, are to try and ensure that that doesn't happen here? But then, at the same time, what do you think this means for players who are still young but are in the squad, like Alsu Abdelina, like Anik Naon, who who look like they might find minutes hard to come by this season? Where Where do they fit into this this picture when we're talking about youth development at Chelsea? I honestly don't necessarily think they will find minutes hard. I think Chelsea ideally would like to be in a situation, I think this is what Emma is trying to build towards, is that almost we could put out two different 11s. And one 11 that can win most WSL games, um, and win most FA Cup games and most Conti Cup games, and sort of an 11 that can go and take on the Champions League and play the really tough games in the league. Uh, there's also still obviously five substitutes to sort of consider. I think, you know, last year... Emma Hayes started to discover the beautiful glory of the rotation policy. Um, and, you know, hopefully she's considered, she's continued doing that. I know seeing Serena Wiegmann barely rotate and win the Euros will no doubt have, you know, reinforced her mind that maybe rotation isn't a good thing. But I think that you will increasingly start to see that. And I think certainly Emma sort of spoke about it last year. One of the big things in the Champions League campaign, why we maybe were undercooked a little bit, was that we had the same players playing a big uh FA Cup final a few days before we had that crunch game against Juventus. Now, I'm not saying we would necessarily rotate heavily against, you know, for an FA Cup final or whatever. Obviously it was extreme circumstance with the way the league fell last year. But if you imagine you maybe had a game the weekend beforehand where you're looking at an opposition and you're saying, okay, they're not quite on the same level, imagine how much more of a benefit it would be if you could say rest Sam Kerr, Fran Kirby. Jesse, one of Fleming or Cuthbert, and you can safe in the knowledge that you're bringing in Lauren James. I think we all know Yelena Kankovic is joining, so Yelena Kankovic, um, you know, um, JRK. I'm not going to try and say her full name. Mia has taught me to say it, but I don't want to, you know, offend the it's entire. It's Jojo, population. Rob. Emma calls her Jojo, so that's what we're jo- going jo- with. I feel like that's a great, you know, nickname. But I, I feel like if you've got that level of quality coming in where they're players that for other WSL sides, they'd be top, top players. And you're looking at Chelsea and saying, well, actually, do they start? And I think that's the level of quality we've now got to. And I kind of feel, I feel a little bit for now, because I think now and stepped in and did brilliantly last year. But ultimately, she is at, you know, Chelsea, there is going to be competition, as Emma rather eloquently said in the documentary. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think they'll find minutes hard to come by. I just think it'll be a case that they have to earn it. And, the best players will earn the most minutes because they're performing. All right, to finish off, I want to put you both on the spot. Of all the players we've discussed, who, if any of them, ends up reaching 10 WSL appearances for Chelsea first? Rob, I'm going to start with you. Well, seeing as she's already got two, I'm going to go for Georgia Fox because eight more isn't too bad. I I think she's probably the one who's got the closest, the most obvious pathway there. Then again, if Wardlaw does stick around this season, she could easily get 10 substitute appearances in total just by the amount of substitutes we make. 
So I'll say Fox, but Wardlaw's my surprising reserve. Yeah, I was going to say Georgia Fox. I think she's just got the um, the best pathway both at Brighton this season and for Chelsea next season. Uh, you know, it's just like it's tailor-made for her to reach 10-plus appearances. So I'll go with Georgia Fox as well. All right, there you go, guys. Georgia Fox uh, playing for Chelsea, sorted, all done and dusted, agreed upon here. Um, that's everything for us today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed us doing something maybe slightly different. Uh, thank you to Abdullah and Rob for joining me to to chat things through. Uh, as I said earlier, we'll be back soon for, for some pre-season previews. Cannot believe how quickly that has come around. But until then, you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Keep the blue flag flying high.